0: Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are talking to writer and podcaster Dana Schwartz about her new book, Immortality, A Love Story. It's a young adult book that's got everything, history, romance, tons of blood. Then we will chat with the artist and writer Jenny O'Dell about her latest book, Saving Time, Discovering a Life Beyond the Clock. The Washington Post, in reviewing the book, was apparently not that concerned about our time. They said it was an ambitious project that takes on time management, self-help, climate nihilism, our fear of dying, and the grind of corporate life, ultimately asking us to see time itself through different lenses. And then we're going to make sure we still have time for some music from Black Belt Eagle Scout, whose latest album is The Land, The Water, The Sky. That's all starting just after this news. Stick around. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're
1: going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we
0: love. Books, movies, television, music, art.
2: And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip,
0: too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them Hey there, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going very well this week. I'm excited to play another round of station location identification with you. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. All right. This is where I'm going to quiz Elena on a place in the country where LiveWire is on the radio. She's got to try to guess where I am talking about. The name of this city was derived from the Native American term meaning wild rice, Uh, Neil Gaiman has uh, lived in this place and actually maintains a residence there. It's somewhere in Wisconsin. Okay, yes, yes. I remember hearing that he lived in Wisconsin, and I thought that was very strange. Good good memory. (laughs) It's not maybe where I would imagine Neil Gaiman is spending his time, but he is. Also, in 2002, an elephant escaped from the circus in this place and went on a little self-guided tour of the main streets of this city. It's not Milwaukee, is it? No, but it starts with an M. Also, the Muppets sing a song that almost sounds like the name of this city.
2: Menominee!
0: Menominee, Wisconsin. (laughs) We're on WHWC Radio, on Wisconsin Public Radio. Well-clued, Burbank. (laughs) (laughs) Well-clued. It turns out we may have been working together for a while. All right. Should we get to the show? Let's do it. All right. Take it away. From PRX,
2: it's... (laughs) This week, author and
3: podcaster Dana Schwartz. It's weird when random people through accidents of their birth throughout history are given control of armies. That's a, that's a weird thing and bad things happen a lot of the time. And artist and writer Jenny O'Dell.
1: I, I talk about uh, productivity bros, which is my term for like, a, a person who makes a certain type of content online about like crushing your morning and like making a smoothie at 3 a.m. or whatever. With music
2: from Black Belt Eagle Scout and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, the host of Livewire, Luke
0: Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone tuning in all over the country. We have a jam-packed show For you this week, of course, we've asked the LiveWire listeners a question in honor of the topic that Jenny O'Dell writes about. We've asked the listeners, what is your favorite way to waste time? We're putting that in air quotes, the waste part. But what is something that you like to do that other people might not see the inherent value in? We're going to hear those answers coming up in a few minutes. First, though, we've got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder that there is good news happening out there in the world. Sometimes you just got to look for it. Elena, what's the best news you heard all week?
2: Well, I don't know if you know this, Burbank, but it is Teacher Appreciation Month. Are you
0: just bringing this up because you are yourself a college professor?
2: I don't think college professors count in Teacher Uh. Appreciation Month. I think it's just K through 12. (laughs) (laughs) But um, in my heart, it's Teacher Appreciation Month every month. Um, But I especially love uh, celebrating teachers this month. And they have just announced the 2023 Teacher of the Year. This is for the whole America Teacher of the Year. And it's a math teacher, a high school math teacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma, named Rebecca Peterson. And she's been teaching for over a decade. She actually started uh, teaching college and then um, kind of decided to go the high school route. Mm-hmm. And when she did, it was really tough. You know, the first year teaching K through 12 is is really difficult, really grinding, huge class sizes. She's a public school teacher. And 10 years ago, when Rebecca Peterson was just getting started, she found solace in this collaborative blog project called One Good Thing. And it was where teachers from all over the planet, just every day, they would just log in and they would say one good thing that happened to them amidst all of the challenges of a busy teaching day. And she says it saved her career. Flash forward 10 years later, not only has she posted to the site 1,400 times... But when she became the Oklahoma Teacher of the Year in 2022, which is the thing that qualifies her for the national title, she was given a year-long sabbatical to work on a passion project, and she brought this One Good Thing project to all of these teachers all around the state via the blog, via Instagram posts, and she was really just telling the positive stories of all of these different teachers. Even in her math classes, where you wouldn't think that there would be a lot of writing, she's asked the students to write about One Good Thing that happens to them in handwritten journals. So she's being recognized as the top teacher in our nation or the most honored teacher of our nation this year, not just because she has this incredible passion for teaching algebra, AP calculus, 11 of her former students are already math teachers. So she's inspiring the next generation of math teachers, but also because she's got this practice of daily joy that is really making a difference in the lives, uh, not just of her students and not just of her professionally, but of other teachers mm. that are doing the same incredible job that she's doing. And I just, I, I really, honestly, the best news I heard this week mm. was just thinking about that legacy that she's leaving and that great
0: work that she's doing. That is awesome. Now, you know, the best news that I saw this week also takes us to Oklahoma. You're kidding. It's a real Sooner State kind of uh, situation in the best news this week. Uh, I heard about this thing that happened in Enid, Oklahoma, it's a like kind of a lazy Monday recently, and a resident of the sort of northwest part of Enid, Oklahoma, she's sitting on her porch, and she's reading a book, and she starts hearing cries for help. And it's very piercing and very kind of troubling to the point where she calls the police, and there are these two police officers with the Enid... PD who report, uh, Neil Story and David Sneed are sent out on this call of these mysterious cries for help. This is all, by the way, recorded on their body cams, because, you know, we've got good documentation of these things now, hopefully. And so they show up on the general area where the screaming has been reported, and they're jogging down this dirt road, and the screams are getting louder, Uh. the screams for help. And they're really bracing themselves, because, you know, we never know how one of these calls is going to turn out. And they round a corner, and what they see is a farmer standing next to his goat who's screaming for help because <laughs> the goat's best friend has been shacked up in this other barn with the only <laughs> female goat at the farm. Oh, for, for the last hour. So it's a love scream. It's not because the goat apparently was upset that he wasn't getting to be on the date with the female goat. He was bummed that his homie was in there. He was more sad about not being able to hang out with his buddy. This is the as the farmer explained it to the police (laughs) officer. These are Nubian goats, and Nubian goats are, are prized for their dairy production. I have to be honest with you. I'm such a city slicker. Until I read this article, it didn't occur to me that goat's milk needed to come from a goat's body. When I saw, like... What? Dairy production. I don't know where I thought it came from. <laughs> Did you think from. it I was just milk that goats preferred? No, I just hadn't given it any concentration in my life. Like, when I was like, these Nubian goats are prized for their dairy output, I was like, I guess that's where goat's milk comes from. But they also are very vocal, and they're also very herd-oriented. as are very social uh-huh. with each other. And so this goat and his buddy would hang out all the time, and then his buddy went into the barn to go on his hot date, and they were separated, and this goat was like really upset about the whole situation.
2: I've heard those certain goats, when they scream, they sound exactly
0: like humans. Well, that's where the whole Taylor Swift, right? There was the Taylor Swift meme of the song Trouble, where somebody intercut <laughs> it right. with a goat bleating. That's right. <laughs> it's pretty spot on. So the farmer said that the goat is going to be fine. He gave the goat some extra food. It calmed the goat down. Oh, and good. Everything is A OK in Enid, Oklahoma this week, which is, for me, the best news <laughs> that I heard all week. Best news. All right, let's welcome our first guest on over to the program. She's a TV writer and the creator of the hit podcast Noble Blood, which investigates the juicy history of lesser known royals. She's also published five books, including The White Man's Guide to White Male Writers of the Western Canon and Anatomy, A Love Story, which was a huge hit. And she's following it up with the highly anticipated sequel, Immortality, A Love Story. This is our chat with Dana Schwartz, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. Hello. Hello, Dana. Welcome to the program.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Uh, let's talk about immortality and also anatomy. And I just mean as general topics. Yeah.
3: No, easy. Yeah. I, I've mastered them
0: both. Okay, good. Uh, no, those are the, the names of, did I see it's called a duology? A duology is what the kids call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What kids? I, I don't, so it's like these, these books are, are, it's Hazel Sinnet. Hazel is, the, is kind of is, the main character. Yeah. What's sort of her story? What is she what is she doing in the book, starting, starting with anatomy?
3: Yeah, so uh, the 19th century was a wild time for medicine and surgery, if you didn't know. It was very gross. And uh, people weren't donating bodies to science because that didn't exist. And so there was an underground industry of men who would dig up dead bodies and sell them to doctors to dissect. This is a real thing that happened. Uh, And Anatomy, a Love Story is a story about a young woman named Hazel who dreams of being a doctor, and because she can't study surgery, she forms this unlikely partnership with a resurrection man, and then, you know, conflicts ensue.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, um, these days, if if you told your parents, I want to be a surgeon, they would be very excited, be very proud. That was not the case in those days, right? For surgeons (laughs) in general, they weren't regarded the same?
3: Yeah, so... This was sort of the era of barber surgeons. Surgeons were sort of... It was considered a very physical job because the technology didn't exist for finesse. This was breaking bones and cutting things open. So surgery was not a considered a very intellectual field, and it was not considered a very ladylike field. What's kind of interesting is I was actually pre-med in college. Um and so I had to do the thing of telling my Jewish parents that I didn't want to be a doctor ah. and that instead I was going to move to New York and try to make it as a writer. <laughs> I was wondering
0: if I had noted that on your bio yeah. that you that you started out pre-med. But just medicine in general, Like, is that something that you carry around as an interest even though you didn't end up pursuing it as your profession?
3: Yeah, I think it was just something I always kind of loved. I'm not really grossed out very easily. And I find... History, very fascinating. I find medical history fascinating. And so um, the great thing about writing a book is you get to choose what to put in it and, (laughs) and no one stops you if you want to put the thing that you're the most interested in in your book. So you get to research it for six months. It's great. That makes me think of a question that I had when I was devouring this book. I, I don't read a lot of
2: YA novels, and this is visceral, deliciously visceral. Thank uh, you, yeah. Is this a, an unusual thing to have this level of exciting, gross, blood, gutsy, guts? Or is it, yeah, actually, we kind of like this dark stuff.
3: You know, that is a great question, because when I started writing Anatomy, I didn't think it was either a young adult or an adult novel. The character is 17, because that was the age that a young woman would be at this point in her life when she has to make these decisions about what is my life going to look like? And it was sort of a decision that I made with my agent, you know, after I had already developed the book where it was like, okay, well, it's a coming of age story. It's a young woman figuring herself out. Young adult readers are so passionate. This might, you know, appeal to younger people too. And fortunately, we now live in a culture where adults read YA and it's not a clear line. So it was sort of a, a... post-development decision to market it as YA, and the first conversation I had when I sold the book and was talking to an editor at a young adult publishing house, I was like, but you can't take out the blood, please. I just, I want it in there. Um, teenagers are weird and gross. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I loved, I was listening to My Chemical Romance all the yeah. time, mm-hmm. um, And she was like, no, absolutely, we're keeping it in. So thank you, Wednesday Books.
0: I found the books very readable and also did still have to look a few things up. (laughs) I consider it to be just A, adult. What it turns out is the young people of the world are actually very smart. And read at a higher level than I do. You know, is who what loves it comes down to. young
3: adult novels is young women, and our culture loves to say that things right. that young women love is frivolous or unimportant. And young women have really good taste.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, these books are extremely popular.
3: So.
0: Um, Uh, We've got to take a real quick break here, but when we come back, Dana, I want to talk a little bit about this Noble Blood podcast that you host that is also really fascinating. We are talking to Dana Schwartz. Her uh, newest book is Immortality, A Love Story. This is Live Wire Radio from PRX. Stay with us back in a moment. What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to Live Wire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, We are at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon this week. Look at these wonderful people. Uh, We are talking to Dana Schwartz about her new book, Immortality, A Love Story, and also um, your podcast, Noble Blood, which I will say I've only been recently acquainted with, and I am loving it. It's a sort of history podcast about nobility and nobles over time. Yeah. Is this something that you were always interested in? Were you into like kings and queens and duchesses?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think from a very young age, children are primed on like Disney movies and fairy tales to just be fascinated by um, kings and, and queens and princesses. And then I was the type of young adult that did love ghost stories and and slightly gory history. And there is plenty of that in in royal history. So it was just something that I was always genuinely fascinated by and boring my friends and family about constantly. And so I consider a podcast where I talk into a microphone, uh, sort of a public service for those around me because I'm not (laughs) describing gruesome deaths over dinner to my husband.
0: I, w- I was telling you this backstage, but one of the things I think that I was kind of surprised by was the tone of the show, because we live in a day and age where there are a 1000 podcasts being created every hour. That's a real fact. I looked that up earlier.
4: Yep. <laughs> yes.
0: And What I've noticed is that so many of those shows are people, they're chat shows, they're people, and you're a funny person, I followed you on social media for years, and I sort of thought, okay, Dana Schwartz is doing a show about nobles, it's just going to be her and her, like, two funny comedian friends roasting, (laughs) you know, like, the, 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 the monarchy or something. And no, it's very historical, it's very serious, and it's, very informative. What is the research process for putting one of these episodes together?
3: It is a very in-depth research process, but I sort of love it. I feel like a detective. I love finding, you would be so surprised by how many sources repeat wrong information, like casual sources, like internet websites, you know, like pop news websites, but once you go back to the original sources, you just feel like such a detective. So I I mean, it's a it's a fully researched, scripted podcast. Um, because these are all subjects that I'm fascinated in. So it's like you find an individual character. Like in Immortality, I wove in a few of the figures I've researched, like um, the Mad King, George III, his son, who became George IV, and George's granddaughter, Princess Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And these are figures who are sort of forgotten in in pop culture. I mean, we know like maybe a sentence about each one Mm -hmm. at large. But once you dig into these stories, it's like the juiciest gossip you've ever heard. It's unbelievable, and so I, uh, it, it it takes a, a little bit of time to to you know read through everything I can and to try to understand it as best I can, and then to put it back out into a form that's hopefully entertaining.
0: Um, do you think we should get rid of the monarchy and like nobility? It's such a seems like such a anachronistic. Yeah. Hurtful and totally made up BS thing.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's sort of weird. I mean, people, sometimes people think I'm a monarchist because I have a podcast talking about historical monarchy. Mostly it's just because I find it very interesting and it's, it's weird when random people through accidents of their birth throughout history are given control of armies. That's a, that's a weird thing and bad things happen a lot of the time. So as a, as a, someone who loves researching in the history, it's just, it's fascinating. Um, I don't know if we should have a monitor. I am glad I'm not in charge of that decision. I think now it's sort of a mascot, you know, they're selling like plates. I don't think they should be making decisions if they did put me in charge and they asked me what they should do and i've i've gone on the record for saying this i think they should skip charles skip william and go straight to the little baby go gr- yep. straight to george with the little pink cheeks and he wears shorts. He's darling. Everyone yeah. who would be against the monarchy if it was just a little blonde a baby. baby with rosy cheeks? You mean yeah. current
0: age, go to the current age child. Yeah, Not wait to, for him to grow up. No, Make no, a 4-year-old,
3: 5, yeah. yeah. Make him the king. Put him on put him on plates. People would love it. <laughs> I would love it. I mean it's kind of there's an amazing uh, author Hillary Mantel who's who's uh-huh. written a brilliant essay on the monarchy that you know, will say all of this much more articulately than I have. But she looks at monarchy and asks like asking if we should have the monarchy is like saying like should we have pandas like she's saying we're like keeping these human beings in captivity maybe it's not even ethical for
0: them right Right. Right. (laughs) well speaking of the ones that uh escape captivity um one of the episodes of the podcast addressed basically it was the very he was like very short-term king king george
3: no, Prince Edward VIII. Yeah. Prince Edward VIII, sorry, sorry. I was like, oh my God, this is I'm getting flashbacks no, of sorry. high school. I have a hard time
0: keeping all these Anglo names straight. Okay. There are
3: a lot of there are a lot of so Edward Edwards. VIII, He
0: was the one that married Wallace Simpson, the yeah. American who was a divorcee, right? Yeah. And you have this episode of the podcast where it talks about him going and kicking it with Hitler. Yeah. And and you mentioned on the show, and I think this might be citing some other sources, too, that Hitler was on the record as saying if if he had uh, actually stayed king in England, that Hitler th- thinks that he would have prevailed in the war.
3: Yeah, I mean, Hitler said a lot of wrong things. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. But you never You know. heard it here first. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know the hot takes would be coming out. Yeah. But it is wild. I mean, looking at all of this history that, you know, That's the wild thing about monarchy and why I love my podcast, Noble Blood, and why I truly will never run out of episodes. Because at the end of the day, these are human beings in positions of enormous pressure and power, and they're just people. They're jealous, they're insecure, they're um, stupid sometimes, (laughs) a lot of the time. They fall in love with bad people. They just act like Rich people who have never had a job and now they're in charge of everything. Yeah, yeah. genuinely, and that's isn't that just interesting? Yeah. It's just yeah. weird. It is. <laughs> Shakespeare thought so. Yeah, right? Right. yeah.
0: We're talking to Dana Schwartz about uh, her podcast *Noble Blood* and also uh, her latest book is *Immortality: A Love Story*. Uh, when you're not uh, podcasting about nobility or writing about like Scottish body snatchers, you also write television set in this era or at some era known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe you wrote for She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Yeah. Is it hard? (laughs) Is it hard to like switch your brain from like Edinburgh of a certain era (laughs) to like modern day She-Hulk lawyering?
3: Uh, yeah, I think I, I definitely read a lot of comic books in that time just to, to get in the rhythm and the mode. But yeah, it, 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 I do sort of get that strange thing where I do divide my days, where it's like in the morning I'll be writing a novel or writing a TV show, and then in the afternoon I'm reading these letters from 1700s from the, <laughs> the horniest people you've ever met. LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is Livewire, we're talking to oh, we're writer recording and podcaster. This? We call that, in the business, we call that a reset. We're talking to Dana Schwartz. Okay, Dana, as uh, we have been discussing, you are very familiar with some uh, more obscure, sort of lesser known um, uh, nobility and royals throughout history. But we were also wondering how up to speed you are on the sort of current crop of royals, the obscenely famous ones that we have here in the modern day. Uh, so we want to do a little exercise here. We wanted to read you a headline about the royal family. And we'd like you to tell us if you think this is something that was actually ripped from the headlines, or is it something we made up. We're calling this game, Palacy or Fallacy. Oh!
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Uh, this is a headline. Tell me, Dana, if it's a fallacy or a fallacy. Ed Sheeran mistaken for Prince Harry by the royal family.
3: <laughs> I hope that one's made up.
0: Absolutely real. Oh my god. <laughs> it's from the website of the UK's number one hit music station, Capital. Oh no. How about headline, Palace or fallacy? Uh, do letters prove member of the royal family was Jack the Ripper? That one's true. Absolutely real from the mirror in 2016. Do you know about that? Has that been part of your research? Yeah, it's
3: it's not. If anyone's read From Hell, which is an amazing graphic novel, that explores sort of this theory that it was uh, Queen Victoria's son who was Jack the Ripper, but... I mean, it's fun disap- to think.
0: It's funny how disappointed you are that it, he's not from the royal family. You're like, spoiler alert, he's not. He's
3: not. Wouldn't, how interesting would that be, though? Wouldn't would,
0: that be yeah. amazing? Just the managing your schedule, it seems. Being a, a, right. like yeah. in the royal family and then also doing I all that know. killing.
3: You would be surprised. Being the son, like not being in charge, it's a lot of waiting around. You phone it in most up. of the time.
0: Yeah. How about this? Palacy <laughs> uh, or Fallacy. Prince William hints at jealousy over Harry's friendship with Tyler Perry, claims to be, quote, big fan. Is that real? We made that one up. (laughs) I would like to believe Prince William's a big fan of Tyler (laughs) Perry. Um, All right. uh, Real or made up? Uh, Headline. The woman who took Prince Harry's virginity in a field as a teenager is auctioning the Miss Piggy toy that he gave her for charity.
3: Okay, I, I'm i gonna say made up.
0: That's absolutely real. No. Oh, that's, no. And that's See, recent. This, that's from The Sun, February 26th.
3: This is that panda thing where you're like, these poor people, he shouldn't have to, he should just be like, he should, he never should have been a prince. He should have like owned a surf shop. Yeah. Always. Like, that's, that, this isn't the life he should ever have.
0: How about this one? Camilla Parker Bowles can't stop talking about Joe Biden's. Long Fart. That one's true. Absolutely real. Yeah. New York Post, 2021. Wow, Dana Schwartz, you really know your fallacy or fallacy. Yeah.
3: yeah, maybe I need to read less Daily Mail. Well,
0: <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. Congrats on the book and the podcast. Dana Schwartz, thank you so everyone. Much. That was Dana Schwartz right here on Live Wire, her new book immortality a love story is available now and you can listen to her hit podcast noble blood wherever you get your podcasts hey special thanks this week to karen and brian mcmanus of seattle washington karen and brian are part of the live wire member community they are in the league of extraordinary listeners and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month And we are very, very thankful for that because it is how we're able to keep doing LiveWire 52 times a year. Thanks, Karen and Brian, for keeping LiveWire going. This is LiveWire. Each week on the show, we ask our listeners a question this week because we're talking about time. With Jenny O'Dell. We asked our listeners, what is your favorite way to, quote unquote, waste time? Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing?
2: This one's from Ellen. Ellen loves to look at house listings in cities I could never afford to live in.
0: I so identify with that. I can't even tell you because I tend to travel a lot for my various media jobs. And when I drop into a city, I've got that Redfin app out. like It's my version of (laughs) Tinder. I'm just like, what's happening here in Fort Worth, Texas? How much could we get for a couple of hundred thousand? Right. (laughs) What's uh, another time waster that one of our listeners enjoys?
2: Here's a great one from Amanda. Amanda loves singing songs about my cats to my cats. Because really,
0: if you write a song about your cat, no one else wants to hear it. I just wrote a new one this week that I think is really going to top the charts. My Cat's name Bubbles and I pick her up and I sing a song called Bubbles Baby, but it's to the tune of the Muppet Babies theme. Bubbles, baby, we make our dreams come true. I mean, that's about the extent of the song. It's just Bubbles, <laughs> Babies. we make our dreams come true. But it seems to be working out pretty well around here. Does she like it? She doesn't like it because I'm also holding her in my arms like a baby while I do it, which is very disorienting for her.
2: They don't like that, no. But yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, in year two of us living together, we can have a breakthrough, that I'm allowed to rock her like a baby for at least 20 minutes a day. All right. One more time waster that one of our listeners loves.
2: Ron loves to waste time by not reading all of the books that he keeps borrowing from the library. Guilty. When I go to the library, because it's free and because it's books, I like um, it's like the super toy run. And I come home with like a bedside table's worth of books in that I could stack them to be the bedside table. Mm -hmm. And then I just wait for them to be overdue. And I just schlep them back to the library. But see,
0: (laughs) my problem with Ron's premise is that if Ron doesn't finish the book, then there was nothing of value that happened. I mean, what about the 80 pages that Ron did read. I mean, that was something. I don't even open mine. I guess that was.
2: I was. I that's what I was... When, my not finishing is not reading at all. All
0: right. Thanks to everyone who sent in a response to our listener question. We've got another one coming up for next week's show, which we will reveal at the end of today's program. In the meantime, speaking of time, our next guest is a writer and artist. Her first book, How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy, became a New York Times bestseller, and was named one of the best books of the year by Time, NPR, and others. The New York Times calls her latest book, Saving Time, Discovering a Life Beyond the Clock, paradigm-destroying. Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Jenny O'Dell, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, here on LiveWire. Jenny, welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I heard you say that you wrote this book because you needed it or you needed to. What was going on for you that you needed to write this book?
1: Um, So amazingly, this was before the pandemic. Um, I was just noticing that all of my thoughts about time felt very um, pained or painful. Um, Like time was either running out. I didn't have enough of it. Um, I was, at the same time, very concerned about the climate and then just, like, the fact of my mortality. I only have so much time in my life. And so I just felt like that was an unsustainable attitude towards time, and I wanted to find something that felt more hopeful. And also just more generally, I think I was just trying to recover my appetite for the future. Mm. So I think it's really hard to think about the future right now.
0: Um, You start the book talking about moss that was growing in your apartment. (laughs) Uh, What did that teach you about time?
1: Yeah, so there's a very damp corner of my apartment. um, (laughs) And uh, essentially some moss spores came in through the window at some point um, in the last handful of years. And this moss started growing in a little planter on the windowsill. And I happened to be reading Gathering Moss by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And so I had just, yeah, book. I mean, great that's book.
0: an intense flex. <laughs> I happened to be I reading a book to, yeah. about moss um, when I noticed <laughs> yeah. this moss also growing, which taught me about abstract time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think reading that book really gave me an appreciation for the fact that moss is, I mean, it's alive. It's also responsive. So... You know, having it in my apartment, I think it made me pay more attention to moss outside and just seeing, you know, minutes after it rains, everything turns more green. Um, And the fact that moss can go dormant for, you know, many years and then come back in the presence of water, that's just a notion of time that feels um, kind of more stretchy and less linear than obviously something like clock time. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: But what are the, you
0: write about this in the book, what are the sort of different times that you talk about in the book?
1: Um... With Moss or no, just, just in general? just generally throughout yeah. the book. We, yeah. we, I think yeah. we've covered the yeah. Moss topic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was, trying to, I was kind of trying to think of like different languages of time, different ways of thinking about time. So like the most obvious one is time is money, which um, because it's so common um, and something that we take for granted, um, I think it's actually really helpful to just look at the history of how time came to be conceived of as money. Um, so, but that, and also just kind of make the point that that's one language about time of many. So the rest of the book is thinking about ecological time, geological time, communal time, crip time, which is a term from disability studies about, you know, the fact that um, someone with a disability kind of runs up against industrialized clock time, but also points to the ways in which that's inhumane for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, not just people who are disabled. So, yeah, it kind of starts with the time is money concept and then tries to zoom out from that and find these other
0: languages of thinking about time. Was it you and your friends are saying, like, Beans is money? Oh, That's no, your time. thing? <laughs> time, time is, is beans? beans? What, is that? what does <laughs> okay. that mean?
1: So um, that is like the unofficial motto of my book, um, time is beans, um, because I, I mentioned this story about this uh, friend of mine who's in her 70s. She basically bought some beans from somewhere 20 years ago, doesn't remember where she got them. She grew them. They were very delicious. She also gave them to her friends. Those friends thought they were also delicious. Now she doesn't know where to get them, but luckily those friends had grown some of them to maturity and gave them back to her. Mm. And now she speculates this, is, this lineage of beans has spread across the entire country. And when I was talking to her about it, we were kind of discussing the fact that, that that's a very non-transactional exchange. Like something was given back to her, but it's not exactly what... She was giving, and it's this sort of non zero sum way of thinking about giving and taking mm-hmm. that I wanted to use as a metaphor for time, where it's something different than me having my time units and my time bank, and you having yours, and all we can do is exchange them in a transactional way.
0: We're talking to Jenny Odell. Her new book is Saving Time Discovering a Life Beyond the Clock. Do you think that we approach the idea of time differently here in the U.S. Than, than other places. I think a lot of us think of like Italy and France where it's supposedly everyone's having like a three-hour lunch Spain, and having yeah. wine at like one in the afternoon. That just seems great. Um, I mean, though, is, this, is there anything uniquely American about how Americans sort of think about time?
1: Um, I think so. I mean, definitely the Protestant work ethic is very strong here. Like the notion that um, being busy is something morally good. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the studies that I read that were comparing the US to Western Europe, for example, um, Americans responded to surveys valuing like individual responsibility a lot more. So like the sort of notion, like the bootstrapper ethos, Mm -hmm. and that lends itself to a notion that I have, my, yeah, I have 24 hours, just like everyone else has 24 abstract hours, and my job is to run them through my sort of success factory mm-hmm. more and more efficiently mm-hmm. versus thinking more collectively about you know, policies or structures that would liberate more time for more people. Like, I do think that that's an
0: American kind of view. Mm-hmm. Um, your previous book, How to Do Nothing, was this huge hit. And it was on uh, uh, Barack Obama's list for that year of books that, that he was reading and recommending. How do you get that information, like, as the writer of one of those books? Um, Does he call you?
1: <laughs> Sadly, no. Um, no, I was actually, um, my boyfriend and I were on our way to a movie, and I just heard him in the next room say, like, I think he said, like, I have some weird news because he had seen it on Twitter.
2: Oh, yeah. so you don't even get a personal call? You just oh, find no. out with the rest of the plebs.
0: Oh yeah! <laughs> wow!
2: Oh, there's no yeah. crown and scepter in the mail,
0: or no oversized check. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it must be a pretty big honor, yeah. and it must have been a pretty good day for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's surreal. I mean, I think like that. I mean, this book as well. But how did Do nothing was very um, personal. Like mm-hmm. it has a lot. It's it's has a lot of details that are specific to me and specific to the Bay Area. Um, And so to just know actually that anyone has gone on that journey and finds it resonant is amazing to me, um, even if they're not Obama. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, It feels to me like this latest book, Saving Time, is a sort of natural outgrowth of how to do nothing because if you're going to try to focus on doing nothing or at least kind of decouplings from like financial thoughts being the primary objective, et cetera, and spend more time in reflection, which is what you write about in the first book, you got to figure out how to reorient your time so that you can actually do that. But I'm curious, for people that don't have that luxury, like the way that their clock is oriented is survival mode, Mm -hmm. you know, economically, emotionally, what would your advice to those folks or what what can you offer to those folks who don't maybe have the luxury of sitting down and thinking, I'm going to spend more time in reflection?
1: I mean, I think the number one thing that I would say is, you know, like I I talk about uh, productivity bros, which is my term for like a a person who makes a certain type of content online Mm. about like crushing your morning and like making a smoothie at 3 a.m. or
0: whatever. You mean rising Um, and grinding? Yeah, Yeah.
1: yes. Um, And uh, I guess I would say that I I feel like there's something a little bit um, punitive about that, like telling someone who doesn't have control over their time that they could if they just worked harder, if they did it better. And so I guess like the first thing I would say is to not subscribe to that way of thinking and not sort of blame oneself and then also look to, you know, um, what are ways that you can join up with others to build some sort of collective power because you individually don't have it, whether that's, you know, union organizing or something less formal, but basically just acknowledging that you would need to move beyond the individual because mm. the, that type of content is always really addressing the individual um, mm. in isolation from those other things.
0: I mean, it's, I don't want to boil it down uh, too much, but is the overarching idea of the book, really capitalism is sort of the problem. Like you have basically like,
1: (laughs) time you have, yeah, Yeah. you have
0: labor, you have value being taken away from people and then accreting to the pockets of super wealthy. And that is, is that basically the main issue?
1: Yeah. It's the same. And it's the exact same one as in how to do nothing. So yeah, I mean, (laughs) capitalism
0: remains the problem. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, you know, when I was the first whole first chapter is about the history of that concept of time is money. And you find out that like, that time is money. The time in that equation is other people's labor time. Like Mm -hmm. that is how that notion came about. Even if now, even if a privileged person is, uh, you know, sort of in control of their own time, they're hosting a radio show, for
0: instance. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: But you know, like that, that sort of notion of control remains like Mm -hmm. in, in the way time is talked about when you say time is money.
0: Yeah, the book is fascinating. It's Saving Time by Jenny O'Dell. Jenny, thanks for coming on LiveWire. Thank you. That was Jenny O'Dell, her latest book, Saving Time, Discovering a Life Beyond the Clock, is available now. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, you're going to hear some amazing music from Black Belt Eagle Scout. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Before we hear our music this week, a little preview of next week's program, we're going to be talking to Isaac Fitzgerald about his New York Times bestselling memoir, Dirtbag Massachusetts. He talks about his unconventional and often difficult childhood in the book, including how he and friends really and deeply misunderstood the point of the movie Fight Club. Then we're going to hear some stand-up comedy from the very funny Carmen Legala on how her love of women's basketball led her to break up a teenage romance by way of internet comments. Then we're going to hear some music from No-No Boy. It's not just music. It's an exploration of the Asian American experience here in the U.S. And as always, we are going to be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show?
2: In honor of Isaac Fitzgerald, we want to know, what's something you completely misunderstood as a young person?
0: All right, if you have something that you misunderstood as a young person, you want to share it with us, uh, send it our way via Twitter or Facebook. We are at Livewire Radio pretty much everywhere. This is Livewire from PRX. Our musical guest this week grew up on the Swinomish Indian Tribal Community in LeConnor, Washington, where she was influenced by the cultural singing and drumming of her family, as well as bootleg tapes of Hole and Nirvana. Their latest album, The Land, The Water, The Sky, is a love letter to indigenous strength and healing that Rolling Stone calls fiery and brilliant. Take a listen to Black Belt Eagle Scout right here on Live LiveLine. KP, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm curious when you started realizing music was going to be a really big part of your life personally. Like, How old were you? What did the music do to you? What kind of music was it?
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm from Swinomish, and my family are all singers, but we're more so like cultural singers. Um, and then also in Washington, grunge, Riot girl, all this really incredible DIY underground music that just sort of was a part of our everyday life also. And so, I don't know, I feel like middle school, high school, I was like, everyday people do music. I could do music too.
0: This uh, album is so beautiful, what were you going for sonically when you, when you produced it, when you recorded it? Like, it just has such a, a unique and lush sound.
5: I was... Um lucky to work with a really good friend of mine, Takia Reed from this band called Divide and Dissolve. She's this like metal guitarist and she has this plethora of pedals that just sort of takes up the essence of mm-hmm. like the wilderness. Um, and I think we we just jumped off from there having like a really atmospheric sound yeah. with a lot of reverb, a lot of like crunchy sort of guitars that I think really like set the scene for what could, you know, come from different songwriting parts.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's it's really dreamy, but it also has a lot of really great, like, rockin' guitar. Like, it's not any one thing. As soon as I think it's being one thing, it sort of shifts a little bit. Mm. Um, where is the cover photo for the album taken? Because in the words of Liz Lemon, I want to go to there. <laughs> <laughs> where is that at?
5: That's, um... That's in my homelands of Swinomish. Wow. It's um, within um, one of the bays. And so there's this little bay that's uh, outside of some of the islands there.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's a pretty magical part of the country. Uh, where are you living these days?
5: I live in Swinomish.
0: Was that yeah. important for you or has it been important for you to be physically in, like, the place of your ancestors and be around that?
5: Yeah, I mean, for me, like, where I'm from, I always knew I was going to move back home. I didn't know that I would move so soon, um... And I think that being home in in that t- in the time of the pandemic, like there was a lot more space to be outside. There was a lot more space to walk around and, and feel, I guess, more like connected mm. to where I'm from. And that was really helpful in, in the writing process of the record.
0: All right. This is Black Belt Eagle Scout here on LiveWire. That was Black Belt Eagle Scout playing Don't Give Up right here on LiveWire. That's off her latest album, The Land, The Water, The Sky, which is available now. Also, KP is out on tour, so make sure you look for Black Belt Eagle Scout coming to a show near you. That's going to do it for this week's episode of LiveWire. A huge thanks to our guests, Dana Schwartz, Jenny O'Dell, and Black Belt Eagle Scout. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director.
2: And our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Trey Hester is our assistant editor. Our marketing and production manager is Paige Thomas. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. Tanvi Kumar is our production fellow. And Yasmeen Median is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, Al Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music.
0: Additional funding provided by the Marie Lamp from Charitable Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Karen and Brian McManus of Seattle, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LivewireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.